0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight is Psalm 81. Psalm 81. The title of this psalm is, To the Chief Musician, on an Instrument of Gat, a Psalm of Asaph." So, the title indicates the audience of the psalm. It is to the chief musician. And the author of the psalm, SF And the sound of the psalm on the instrument of Gat. So, who is the chief musician? Some suppose to be a leader of choirs or musicians in David's time, such as he man the singer or Asaf, but Asaf will not write it to himself. About Gat, the sound of the psalm on an instrument of Gat, most of the scholars were not sure of the meaning of the word Gat. Some think it may refer to the tune commonly sung in the Palestinian city of Gat. Gat is a city in Palestine. Others said it is an instrument of music that was invented in the city of Gat. Others tracing the Hebrew word Gat to its root and perceive it to mean a song for wine press. And wine, they used to drink it, you know, in a a joyful occasion. So it's a joyful hymn for those who the grapes. The word "get" is applied to two other Psalms besides Psalm 81, Psalm 8 and Psalm 84. And both Psalm 8 and 84 and also Psalm 81 being of a joyous character. So it may be concluded that where we find that word in the title Gat we may look for a hymn of joy and gladness. And there are various opinions concerning the occasion and time of this psalm, when it was written. It's written by Asaph, Because it is difficult to identify the precise feast to which the psalm refers. As we're going to read together, this psalm refers on a celebration of a certain feast but it is generally agreed that it was either written for or used at the celebration of the feast of trumpets the feast of the tabernacles on the 15th of the same month or the feast of the new moon or the feast of the deliverance of the israelites from egypt the majority of the psalm is a call for people to remember their god and to repent of their unfaithfulness so after he called the people to celebrate a joyful feast to the lord he said to them remember the lord and also repent from your unfaithfulness god is not pleased with many of them many of the israelites because they had forgotten his faithfulness toward them and disobeyed his commandments, so they became unfaithful to him in spite of his faithfulness to them. Some call this psalm a liturgical psalm used in worship, while others categorize it as a prophetic psalm. It is only 16 verse. From verse 1 to 7, a call to praise God. 8 to 10, a call to remember God. 11 to 16, a call to repent. So let's start from verse 1. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast day. So, Psalm 81 begins with a call to worship. The first three verses are a call for Israel to sing aloud to God and to shout for joy. Actually, one thing that's emphasized throughout the psalm is That our love and gratitude for God and his salvation should be reflected in our praise. That's why praises like midnight praises is an essential element in our service. The word sing aloud means a call to joyous celebration. And verse 1 is addressed to the whole congregation. To the whole congregation. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. And the word sing aloud means to rejoice. Then he said, to God our strength. Because nothing will bring a gladness like God. Why? Because God He is our strength, our support and our joy. The Lord was the strength of his people in delivering them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and sustaining them in the wilderness for years, placing them in Canaan, preserving them from their enemies and giving them victory. The psalmist makes it clear who is to be praised when he highlights God's strength and faithfulness. He said, God of Jacob, God of Jacob, make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. God of Jacob is the God who had made a covenant with the Israelites, had chosen them to be his people, and had redeemed them out of the house of bondage. And this applies to all of us, because God made a covenant with us, with his own blood, chose us to be his people after we were foreign, and redeemed us from the bondage of sin, bondage of the devil, bondage of Hades. Verse 1 actually addresses all the congregation. Verse 2 is a call to the Levites. Because the Levites are appointed in the temple as singers and musicians. That's why, after he addressed all the people, he said to the Levites, the singer and the musician, raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Three instruments timbrel, harp, lute. So, as the song unto God is raised, so should a skillful music also be raised from the instrument. And as listed three timbral, pleasant harp and lute. The instruments ordinarily used in the service of the sanctuary were harp, stringed instrument, and cymbals. But here the timbral seems to take place of the symbol. And the use of all this music instrument is a symbol to praise God from all our feelings, emotions, energy, hearts, to make a delightful melody to the Lord. Verse 1 addresses the whole congregation. 2 addresses the Levites. Verse 3 address the priests. Because the priests are the only one who can blow the trumpet. That's why he said, blew the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. So f- verse three is probably a call to the priests who had the responsibility of blowing the trumpet. So this seems to be a self call to all the people to participate in worship, congregation, Levites, and priests. What is the new moon at the time of the new moon? You know, the Jewish calendar is lunar calendar. So the new moon, either in every new moon, it was a celebration for the Israelites, as we read in 2 Kings chapter 4.23, or rather the first day of the seventh month on the Feast of the Tabernacle. And they decide this day when they see the new moon, the crescent of the new moon. The purpose of these festivals was for the people to remember the mighty work of God, especially the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. This is what Asaph tells the people to recall as they worship the Lord in the next few verses as we're going to read from verse 8 to 10. The Jews says this blowing of trumpet was in commemoration of Isaac's deliverance. Why? As we read in Genesis 22, verse 13, a ram being sacrificed for Isaac, therefore they sounded the trumpet made of ram's horns to remember the deliverance of Isaac. The trumpet, it was at first made of horn, and then was made similar in shape to a horn. St. Augustine comments on blow the trumpet and St. Augustine says loudly and boldly preach be not affrighted. So blowing the trumpet is preaching the good news of the gospel. Preaching the glad tidings of salvation. St. Augustine also says what is sound of the trumpet in the beginning of the month of the trumpet? With all confidence, preach you new life. Fear not the noise of the old life. Your new life in Christ, and fear not the noise of the old life. Verse 4 and 5. For this is a statute for Israel, a law for the God of Jacob. This He established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt where I heard a language I did not understand. So verse 4 and 5 address the reason for the celebration. It is a divine appointment of the festival as a memorial of God's goodness to Israel. He stresses the importance of gathering people together. And this is not a human ordinance, but it is a divine establishment. This is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. God has appointed and commanded this feast to be announced and observed in this manner. It is a statute, a law, established as a testimony among God's people. As he said in verse 4, a law of the God of Jacob. It was not a matter of convenience to them. It is a law. It was a matter of a right and of claim on the part of God and was so to be regarded by nations. So God asked us to do this God demands the observance of these feasts. And also God claims the Sabbath, the days of the Lord, the entire day as his own. Keep the day of the Lord holy. He requires that it shall be spent in his service, that it shall be regarded as his day. Therefore, people when they don't keep the day of the Lord holy, they don't worship on the day of the Lord. They rob God from his right, as we read in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. When they take this time for unnecessary secular purposes, or devote the day of the Lord to other uses. Why? In verse 4 he said, a law of the God of Jacob. And then in verse 5 he said, this he established in Joseph. Why he used Joseph, not Jacob or Israel? As a testimony, the word Joseph, of course, stands for the whole Hebrew people. Joseph as testimony to bear continual witness to his care for Israel. The word testimony means to bear a continual witness to God's care of Israel. In verse 4, God called his people by the name of God of Israel or God of Jacob. Why? Because the people were committed to strive with the spirit of joy and praise in the land of Canaan, the promised land. But verse 5 is speaking about his people in Egypt before they arrived at the promised land. That's why he calls them by the name of Joseph because all of them went down to Egypt because of Joseph. So when he spoke about them in Egypt, he called them Joseph. When they in the promised land, he called them Israel or Jacob. So Asaph thought of the great assembly of God's people as they came together to leave their slavery in Egypt, in the Exodus. So as the people assembled together in the Exodus from Egypt, now they assemble together in the feast day to commemorate god's mighty work for them so they gathered together for that initial deliverance and now it became the basis of their future assemblies and feasts father on bishop of jerusalem says as when joseph went down to egypt he heard a language he did not hear before the language of the egyptians the children of israel Coming out of Egypt also, when they start heading to the wilderness, they heard the law of God, which they did not hear before. For 400 years they lived in Egypt. So it was like a language they did not understand. When he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. So a language I did not understand may mean the Egyptian language which was not understood by the Israelites without interpreter. And this sense is confirmed by Psalm 114 verse 1 when Israel went out of Egypt the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. And this also is mentioned as an aggravation for their affliction in Egypt. As we read in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 15, Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation. A nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. But language I did not understand can have a different meaning can be the voice of God out of the fire, which before was never heard in this unusual manner, nor understood, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 24. So Asaph tells the people to recall the deliverance the Lord achieved for Israel in Egypt. From verse 6 and verse 7, the speaker here is God, God is speaking, I removed his shoulder from the burden, his hands were freed from the baskets about the oppression in Egypt, when they carried on the shoulder to build the cities and they carried the baskets. So God said, I removed his shoulder, the shoulder of Israel from the burden. His hands, the hands of Israel, were freed from the baskets. God saying to Israel, You called in trouble, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Mariba. So the speaker in verse 6 evidently is God. He reminds them. Of how he had delivered the Israelites from the oppression and cruelty of the Egyptians who made their lives bitter in hard bondage and obliged them to carry heavy loads of bricks upon their shoulder so the reference is to their burdens in making bricks and carrying them to the place where they were to be used they repeatedly forgot the miserable lives They were living in Egypt. The people of Israel were forced to labor and were treated harshly, as the book of Exodus tells us. Israel's children, at one point in time, were being killed by the Egyptians during the time of the birth of Moses. That's why they hid Moses in a basket and put him in the Nile. The reference is to the baskets which might have been used in carrying clay or the bricks after they were made. So their burdens were so often referred to in the book of Exodus, like Isaiah 1, 2, 5, 6. And God said to Israel, You called in trouble, I delivered you. God heard their groaning under their burden of slavery in Egypt, as we read in Exodus 2, verse 23 and 24. He brought deliverance to them through wonders and leaders like Moses. God will hear those who cry out to him. But he said to them, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. What is the secret place of thunder? Some say it refers to the bringing of plague of thunder and lightning upon the Egyptians, one of the ten plagues. But this was done, the secret place of thunder, when the Lord looked out of the pillar of cloud at the Red Sea upon the Egyptians and troubled them. At the time of the split of the Red Sea after the Israelites passed and then the Egyptians went after them, at that time the voice of the thunder was heard in heaven. As we read in Psalm 77 verse 18. When the water returned on the Egyptians and they were drowned there. So this most probably is the secret place of thunder. I heard you in the secret place of thunder. But some believe that the reference here is to appearance of God through the clouds to talk to Moses. Or the pillar of cloud and from which God answered the cry, of his people so they tested God they called upon him in the day of trouble and God actually was faithful to them then God told them I tested you at the water of Mariba what happened at the water of Mariba people complained for water despite the exalted compassion of God and Moses struck the rock to bring forth water to people So God told them, I tested you at the waters of Mariba." How he tested them? By withholding water from them to test their fidelity. To see whether they would be patient and put their trust and confidence in the Lord or not. God says he tested the people in that situation. And the people failed because they did not maintain their trust in God. See the comparison here. They called in trouble, and God delivered them, as if they tested God and found Him faithful. But when God tested them, He found them unfaithful to Him. And Mariba means actually strife was a reminder of repeated unbelief and ingratitude. Then at the end of verse seven, word Sila. Silah is a pause. So after this word mark a pause, during which the people might reflect on the manifold mercies which God had given to them in Egypt, in the wilderness and elsewhere. So God's mercies are great and ought to be reflected upon. Verse 8. Hear, O my people, still God is speaking, And I will admonish you, O Israel, if you will listen to me. There shall be no foreign god among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. So, verse 8, 9, and 10, the Lord rebukes and warns the people calling them to listen to the word he has to say to them. But before he instructed his assembled people, he first called for their attention, telling them to listen. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me. If you will listen to me. So, God calls their attention to what he required of them to what his law demanded, to what was the condition of their being his people. That's why he called them all oh, my people. Israel is still the people of God. They were his people and God is their God. St. Augustine commends all oh, my people and he says, San Augustine, for it is not To a strange people, nor nor to a people that belongs not to the press, to the vineyard. But God speaking to his people, not to a foreign people. That's why he says, judge ye, he says, between me and my vineyard, my people. The Lord recognizes that the people will not listen. That's why he said, if you will listen, if you will listen to me. So the Lord reminds them of the covenant that they are to keep with the Lord. They are not to worship any other foreign god. They spent 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And they were exposed to many pagan gods in Egypt. So the command that God gave to Israel when the Israelites came out of Egypt is again stated to them in the days of Asaph after hundreds of years. Coming from Egypt, Israel was commanded not to worship any foreign god. And the same command was for Israel in the Promised Land under their kings. One of the causes of the fall of Jerusalem and the captivity, like Babylonian captivity of the people, was that their hearts had been turned toward the foreign gods of the Canaanites. And Israel no longer worshipped the Lord in sincerity. That's why God delivered them to captivity. Thus, the Lord reminds the people that they are not to bow down to any foreign god because the Lord is their God. The reminder was continually needed in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Hosea, He is the one who brought the people out of Egypt, as he told them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. No foreign God had done such things for Israel. If the people will simply listen to the commandments of God, the Lord will provide for his people. That's what he meant by open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Means I will provide for your needs. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It is an allusion to young birds when fed by the parent bird. God wants to take care of his people. God made a promise to his faithful people. If they would in faith anticipate God's provision, opening the mouth wide means anticipating God's provision, God will provide. So, The reverse also is implied. God will not fill the closed mouth. God will not fill the one who has no eagerness of faith, of faith. So God's gift, both temporal and spiritual, are proportioned to our eager longing for them. Open your mouth means I am eagerly longing for the gift of God. As Christ could not do miracles in one place because of their unbelief, so God cannot give blintfully unless we desire. We open our mouth wide when we have a sense of need, when we are hungry for the word of God, when we understand the greatness of God to whom we pray. St. Augustine says, For we all were brought out of the land of Egypt, land of slavery, we have all passed through the Red Sea, that is, baptism. Our enemies pursuing us, Satan, having perished in the water, let us not be ungrateful to our God. Let us not forget God that abides and fabricate in ourselves a new God, like love of money, love of pleasure, pride. Open wide your mouth, in confessing to God and loving. And God will fail it because with God is a fountain of life. Verse 11 After God told them, listen, hear, O my people, I will admonish you. But unfortunately, in verse 11, but my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me israel would have none they don't want anything from god would have none of me this was the great sorrow god was ready to fill the open mouth of his people but they would not obey him god said in sorrow israel would have none of me rebellious israel rejected god who had done so much for them and would have done much more St. Augustine says, for they are baptized and pass through the Red Sea. But on the way, in the wilderness of Sinai, they murmur, complain, are stirred with sedition, ungrateful to God who delivered them from pursuing enemies, who led them through the dry land, through the desert, yet with food and drink was light by night and shed by day he provided for them. So God on his part intends to fulfill all the needs of his people. Yet the problem is in the diversion of the people's heart and in their intention to have none of God himself. We don't want anything from God. We don't want to do anything with God. So what is God supposed to do with a people who refuse to listen to his command? That's what we find in verse 12 and 13. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsel. So what shall God do toward people who will not bend their will to the Lord? God answered, I give them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsel. God is not going to stop people from doing evil. God's spirit will not always strive with men. As we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. After a time, If they persist in evil and disobedient to his commands, he gives them over, withdrew from them, leaves them to their own stubborn heart, to their own wicked will, and to their own imagination. So here is a good answer for people who ask the question, why there is evil in the world if there is a God? Because God does not stop people from doing what they want to do. God is the author of free will and choice and who are allowed to follow our own desires. God allows us to live our life however we would like to live them. Free will is not an exemption from judgment and the wrath of God. Yes, we have free will here, but we will be held accountable in the rest of the day. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1:18. But rather than talk about the wrath that was to come against Israel, God did not speak about the wrath in Psalm 81. God talks about the good life the people are missing due to their stubbornness. And we as servants, when we actually see somebody away from the church or away from God maybe it's better not to speak about the wrath that's awaiting him but rather we speak about the goodness that he is missing by choosing to be away from God that's why God in verse 13 he starts to say about what they are missing oh that my people would listen to me that israel would walk in my way what will happen to them i would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversary so god's mercy is infinite and unlimited even now if israel would obey him he would subdue their enemies and bless them abundantly god could say of israel my people still god say Oh, that my people would listen to me. He's still calling them his people. They belonged to him, and he had claimed them. Yet they would not listen to him. They would not walk in his ways. Such were the laments of Jesus over Jerusalem. It expresses what was the earnest desire or the wish, the preference of God. God wants his people to be obedient in order to enjoy his grace and his favor. Israel is still surrounded by enemies. These enemies are eager for the destruction of Israel. God could subdue these enemies and sweep them away in a moment if he pleased and would do so if Israel would repent and return to God. The hand which is now turned against Israel in chastisement would be turned against their enemies. So instead, God actually is chastising his people. This hand can be against his enemy. As he said in verse 14, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. This was an unclaimed blessing God wanted to give to A believing obeying people so there is a blessing here but they did not claim it you know why because there is stubbornness of their heart if god's people would only listen and obey god would subdue their enemies and fight for them against their adversaries israel enemies are always spoken of as god's enemy that's why in verse 15 he speak about israel enemy but he called them the haters of the lord Would pretend to submission to him. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. So they hate God not merely as Israel's protector, but as the source of all goodness. Whereas they delight in evil, the haters of God, because they are unwilling to submit to God, they pretend. To submit to God but they are not willing to submit to God those who hate the Lord assume that they are capable of destroying his people but he said their fate would endure forever whose fate here some say the fate of the enemies they will be punished with everlasting destruction as we read in Mark chapter 9 verse 48 their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched it's everlasting as we read in revelation fourteen eleven, and the smoke of their torment ascend forever and ever and they have no rest day and night but other people said their fate is about the children of God their fate would endure forever something it is to be understood of the time of his people they will not destroy his people the enemies cannot destroy the people of god if they had heeded the people of god heeded and listened to the lord and walked in his ways they would have continued to be a happy and a flourishing nation forever god desires for his people to repent and to return to him that's why god Is saying what they are missing in verse 16, which is the last verse. He would have, God would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. So he is ready to deal with their enemies as we read in verse 14 and 15, but also he is ready to satisfy their souls. Verse 16 describes the blessing God would bestow on the people of Israel. God would have richly provided for them, I satisfied them, if his people would have only listened and obeyed. And the expression, honey with honey from the rock, is taken from Deuteronomy 32 verse 13. It means the honey of the best, native honey. Is stored by the bees in the clefts of the rocks. So both the wheat and honey are metaphors of all temporal and spiritual blessing. And it may mean also the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Honey from the rock, the rock spiritually means Christ. Rock of salvation, as we read in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. Honey of the rock means the fullness of grace in Christ. St. Augustine says, And this honey is not from any chance person, but from the rock, and the rock was Christ. One has a choice right now as to what he or she will do with God. And the outcome of your choice is determined. If you listen to God, God will subdue your enemies and satisfy you with his blessings. People who choose not to listen to God, God will deliver them to the stubbornness of their hearts and to their own imagination. So, submit to God and you will have the blessing of God. Reject God and God will turn these people over to their lusts and they will face the wrath of God. There is no changing of the outcome. The whole psalm serves as a reminder of our own sinfulness and God's faithfulness. God is faithful to us in spite of our sinfulness. And the whole of what is here said shows that what Israel lost by disobedience so we know what Israel lost by their disobedience. They could not subdue their enemies. They were delivered to captivity. They were not satisfied. So it clearly suggests what We will enjoy when we hear and obey and listen to the word of God. This concludes Psalm 81. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.